What a wonderful time to be a part of the West Irwin Church of Christ family. If you're visiting here today, I hope that you'll be able to meet a few folks and let us share with you the the wonderful blessing of this church family. And of course, uh, all of those who are online, we appreciate you so very much and how you continue to encourage and support us through that. And as was said earlier, we look forward to seeing you sometime in person uh, when you're ready for that. What a blessing to be a part of today's assembly. What a wonderful announcement and uh, terrific work of our youth minister search committee. Uh, As I think Cody said, 15 months uh, since he got up here to share about the process. And now here we are with the wonderful, wonderful blessing of announcing that uh, Tucker Sullivan and his soon-to-be bride, Elizabeth Hunt, will be moving here in two weeks from today, uh, July the 11th. Elizabeth will move here and join him after the wedding and honeymoon. The wedding, as Cody said, is September 4th. But Tucker begins full-time here two weeks from today, and we couldn't be more excited. Our staff got the opportunity to meet uh, him and to share with him on one of those infamous Zoom calls. Uh, Many of you were able to meet uh, them in person. They visited as Cody shared uh, here a weekend for a weekend a couple of weeks ago or a while back. And uh, what a blessing uh, that day uh, was for them and for us. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you to this incredible committee uh, for all of your hard, hard work and prayers and the relationship that you shared with each other in this service Uh, to our church. And we continue to pray for Tucker and for Elizabeth. If you're inclined to do so, there are blue encouragement cards uh, in the back of the pew in front of you. Fill one of those out and just say, Dear Tucker, Dear Elizabeth, Dear Tucker and Elizabeth, uh, Dear soon-to-be West Irwin Youth Minister, uh, we would love to shower them with uh, cards and uh, uh, love and prayers over these next two weeks and then certainly after they are here. Joyce and I have appreciated these encouragement cards that we've been trying to restart again here. Uh, We experienced them uh, with our Woodland West Church family in Arlington, Texas, and then with our uh, church, South Fork Church of Christ in Winston-Salem, and now here as well. And they are such a great blessing. There's a box on the table out in the foyer, or you can leave those on the end of your pew. Uh, We're grateful that they are coming, how God has blessed us. And so many other wonderful things going on here. Our summer series continues. We uh, have been meeting at, on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. And during June, July, and August, we all meet together uh, in here. We have our children's classes, our youth classes as usual. But in here, we've been looking at this incredible theme, uh, looking forward, conquered or conquer. And this past Wednesday night, my brother and friend and co-minister, Davey Carter, did an outstanding job, outstanding job speaking about Gideon. And I hope if you missed that, that you'll go to our website on our archives, on our live streaming page, uh, and be able to see that, or on our West Irwin Live Facebook page. Just a wonderful message. This Wednesday, Jerry Savage uh, uh, from Sulphur Springs will be speaking on Ezra. And so we're excited about that series uh, continuing on as well. Wonderful things that are happening here. Many of them you see in your bulletin, um, too many uh, to mention in person. It's a great thing, a great way that God blesses us with the opportunity to serve and to be served, to encourage and to be encouraged. And that's important. 
because of these first blanks on your sermon outline. Spiritual growth is a process and a journey. What a great blessing that we're not on that journey by ourselves. Church is God's idea. God knew that when he called on us to be faithful, when he called on us to serve, that as our our wonderful friends and family, Bud and Charlotte Collier, have shared with us, there are dark times and there are difficult moments. And that's true of all of us. And that's why we need each other so desperately. Spiritual growth is a process and a journey. I've shared before from the the wonderful book by John Westerhoff, Will Our Children Have Faith? These four stages of faith on that journey, experienced faith, affiliative or belonging faith, searching faith, and owned faith. That's the one we all want to get to. But when you come up out of the waters of baptism and you're still wet, you're not there yet. You have a lot to experience and you have a lot of growing still to do. And in the Christian life, this process of our Christian journey, we never stop growing. That process never ends. We continue to learn and to mature in our faith. As Jesus sought and built relationships with people during his life here on the earth, He recognized that spiritual growth is a process and that the development of faith is a journey. And again, it's not a journey where you start here, you're baptized, you're here, and you stay there the whole time. It's not that way. I wish I could tell you it was that way, but it's not. There are ups and downs along the way, and hopefully the ups get a little higher as you go, and the downs also are not quite so low as you go. But the truth is, we all experience those ups and downs in this spiritual life, this spiritual growth, this process and journey that we are on. The relationship Jesus had with the Jewish leader Nicodemus clearly demonstrates that journey and that process. So in this series that we're looking at on Sunday mornings of the people that Jesus had interactions with in this life, that we read about in the Gospels. It's an incredible statement to read what happens with this man, Nicodemus, and how he actually went through this process, this journey over the few years that Jesus taught and served. The first stage is that experienced faith. It's an experienced faith. Um, And we find Nicodemus beginning his story in John 3. All of the stories, all of the passages about Nicodemus are in the Gospel of John. Convenient enough, thank you. And it begins in John 3. And it begins in a surprising way. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So already we know this guy is head and shoulders above everybody, or should be, in the Jewish faith. He's a Pharisee, who that meant they were very familiar with the law and and, uh, offered in their lives and in their teaching strict adherence to the law of Moses. But we also see that he was on the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And so he was one of the most important people, one of the most important leaders in the Jewish faith in the time of Christ. 
Verse two, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Seems like a great start, right? And as we read those words in those first couple of verses, we get where Nicodemus is on this journey. His is an experienced faith. He's just now getting to know Jesus. He's just now getting to know what it means to follow what he's saying. And he's very early in that process. In a sense, his faith is a childlike faith. He's kind of like those children. He would never admit it, but he's like those children from Matthew chapter 19 that Jesus called and said, I want these kids to be around me. Don't chase them off. And so this experienced faith, another term in that next stage that Westerhoff uses is affiliative faith. I like the term belonging faith. What Nicodemus is saying in these two verses is, I belong here. This is where I belong. I belong here with you. Jesus, because you're great, I'm great, you know a lot, I know a lot, let's, let's chat about how much we know, <laughs> shall we? And he comes to Jesus at night, and you've heard sermons and lessons on this, probably because perhaps he didn't want others to know he was coming to Jesus. It might embarrass him as the one whom Jesus should be coming to instead. Or it may be that he just wanted a little bit more of a private setting so that they could talk shop, so that they could talk God and law. That's where Nicodemus is now. And we look at our own church family and we realize these are, he's right where our little kids are when they come up here for kids time, which they'll get the opportunity to do again next Sunday. There are we kids, our, our, our VBS age kids that you saw in the pictures uh, earlier. And there are so many activities that we have here. And this group, this group that has an experienced faith, that sense of belonging, I just belong here because of everything that's going on. You see lots of great activities and we've talked about a lot of them here today and there's so many others that we haven't talked about. In the bulletin, there are pictures of a recent Young at Heart trip that we featured a while back on one of our ministry highlight uh, segments. There are so many other things. Our ladies, there were 60-something ladies that gathered this past week for a time of fellowship and fun. There are so many of these activities, so many. And as our shepherd, Ken Culpepper, shared earlier, we see those time and time again And that there's also that sense of sharing the blessings and the burdens of life together. And people look at that and they look at those things And they say, I like that. I like that. I kind of belong in a place that's like that. That's where Nicodemus was in the first two verses of John 3. For young and older adults in this stage, everything is still new and fresh and wonderful. Basically, we like what we see and hear. And we're only seeing and hearing what we like. And so this is a very early stage in the process. It's a good stage. It's a fun stage. It's an important stage. But we must not stay 
there. This is the stage where we're not aware of any of the bad stuff. We like what we see. We like what we hear. And sadly enough, some never leave this stage. Jesus, however, does not let Nicodemus stay in this stage and instead challenges him to grow. So we move from that experienced faith of sensing, I belong here, to a searching faith. In John 3, we keep reading, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you're somebody special because, wow, you do some incredible things, and Jesus cuts him off. He could have gone on for half the night and just talked about stuff like that. But instead, he cuts Nicodemus off and he immediately confronts him in John's gospel. John 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And it is right out of the blue for Nicodemus. He doesn't understand that at all. Because he understands that metaphor of being born again. It means fresh start. It's an allusion to baptism as we see in the verses that follow. Nicodemus asks in verse four, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And we think, well, Nicodemus, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. But as ridiculous as that sounds, that is exactly how Nicodemus felt about being told he, this Pharisee, this member of the Jewish ruling council, just like all of these people around that Jesus has been teaching, even you, Nicodemus, need to be born again. And for Nicodemus, it was just absolutely ridiculous that he would need to do that. Just as ridiculous as a grown man crawling back into the mother's womb to be reborn. That's how strange the message of Jesus sounded to him. Verse 5 of John 3, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And so Jesus immediately clears it up. Because you see, John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance in the name of the one who had come after him. Jesus of Nazareth and his apostles came preaching a baptism of repentance for everyone. But the Jewish leaders wouldn't have it because they didn't need it. They didn't need to repent. They didn't need to be challenged. They didn't need a savior. That's where Nicodemus is right now. And Jesus clears it up for him and lets him know specifically, you, Nicodemus, even you must be born of water and the spirit. And believe me, he knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Passage of scripture in Titus chapter three talks about that washing of rebirth and renewal through the Holy Spirit. Tied specifically, I think, to these words of Jesus. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus says in John three, verse six, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Your faith is about the flesh and the physical and the external Nicodemus, you need to reach out to the spirit and have a spiritual faith. 
You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. He did not understand. He did not get it. He could not fathom that he needed this spiritual rebirth. Well, Jesus goes on and interacts with him, but I'd like for us to turn to the next passage in John chapter 7, where Nicodemus, we see, we, there, there's probably a good bit of time that goes on between John 3 and John 7, enough to where the Jewish leadership is already plotting to kill him, to kill Jesus because of his teaching, because they felt so threatened. But remember, Nicodemus is on that council. And so at the end of John 7, they send some guards to go arrest Jesus and they come back and say, hey, we, we can't do it. <laughs> nobody, nobody has ever spoken like this guy. And then we read in John 7, verse 47, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees asked the soldiers, have any of the rulers of the, of the, or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own member, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? And this is a very brave step for Nicodemus with his peers, with his fellow rulers, fellow members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. They're all set to pronounce guilt and sentence him to death right now tonight. But Nicodemus says, wait, 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 don't... Doesn't the law say something about giving somebody a hearing? And they pounce. They jump all over him. Verse 51, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And there's nothing more said about that interchange. And I think it's it's because Nicodemus got the message. And he shut his mouth tight. Because he knew what would happen if he didn't. But you see, he was further along than he was in John 3 when he came to Jesus and had that that experienced faith, just of things that he saw. And now Jesus has confronted him and now he's struggling a bit and he's trying to understand it and and he's, he's working through all of this. And we see that in other places in Scripture. Job experienced that, Habakkuk experienced that in the time of the exile, a contemporary of Jeremiah. Other passages of of scripture listed on your outline that call us to challenge ourselves and grow. And here's what this searching faith says. I have questions. I have questions. There are some things here that I thought I, I have known, that maybe I haven't known quite so clearly. And I'd like to ask about them. I'd like to talk about them. They're willing to struggle. They're willing to see and hear some things that maybe they don't like, or maybe they're not even sure that they agree with. But they're willing to ask. And that means they're willing to grow. I 
have some questions. This stage can be scary for us, but it can also be frightening and threatening for others, especially our family members, church leaders, and friends. Imagine Mrs. Nicodemus for a moment. He comes home from that time when he met with Jesus by night, and she knew he was going, of course, and he walks in the door, and she says, how'd it go, honey? And he says, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. And he continues to struggle with that, and then he goes to that meeting, and then he comes home, and she says, how was the meeting, honey? Anything, what's going on now? Hopefully, she shared that journey with her husband. And this is where the term growing pains applies, because this is a hard stage. This stage hurts. And it is what makes it so much easier, so less threatening, so less unstable to simply stay in the previous, more comfortable stage and not grow. Stay in that experiential stage where you just kind of see it. That sense of belonging, I, I like it here. I'm comfortable here. As difficult as it is to go through this stage, however, it is the one in which the most significant growth occurs. And it occurs, again, throughout our lives. Because this spiritual growth and spiritual journey is a process. It's not something where we wake up one day and we say, I know it all and I've arrived. God has a way of interrupting that just as Jesus did with Nicodemus in John 3. Preacher and writer and scholar Fred Craddock describes the spiritual life in three stages, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Basically, spiritual growth occurs in the disorientation stage, and it is a sense of disorient. What Westerhoff calls the searching Stage. No one can stay in this stage for too long and be healthy, and we shouldn't expect that. But what helps us in the midst of the storms and insecurities of this stage is to remember that spiritual growth is a process. This is a stop along the journey, not the end point itself. Just as Matt said, this world is not our home. It's a stopping point. This is not all there is. Is that great old song saying, is, there all, is this all there is? It isn't. And wherever you are in this spiritual journey, remember that this place where you are right now will not last forever. You will come through it. You will. And you will be better and stronger when you do. Like Job and Nicodemus, once fought through rather than denied and avoided, we're better and stronger and more spiritually mature on the other side. In other words, we've grown. And I want to be a part of a church that is willing for our members and our family, some of them to be in this stage, the searching stage, the questioning stage. And we help each other through that. And we walk each other through that. And we don't give up on our faith and we stay close to God's word, but we go through it and we go through it together. That leads us to the last stage, an owned faith, an owned faith. And I think the best way to explain what that looks like is to turn to John 19. Because in John 19, we see that Nicodemus made his choice. Nicodemus is far away from where he was in John 3. 
and it's been hard. And it's going to get harder for him. These words in John 19, beginning in verse 38, after Jesus has died. John 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Scripture also tells us that he too was a member of the ruling council. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it and with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb. We understand it from other uh, scripture that it was Joseph's tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And I can just bet you that those Jewish leaders were disappointed. They didn't want to see Jesus buried in a tomb. They probably wanted to see the Roman soldiers do whatever with the body. Perhaps an unmarked grave for criminals is what they wanted. And they certainly didn't want two members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, that had convicted Jesus to death. They certainly didn't want Joseph and Nicodemus to come themselves and become ceremonially unclean during the Passover weekend and take that body down and anoint it and wrap it and place it in Joseph's own tomb. This was a very public statement of an owned faith. He had asked the questions. He had gone through the struggle And he realized that Jesus was Lord. And it changed everything in his life. And he became, along with Joseph, a marked man. Because believe you me, what they wanted more than anything was to show people that for anyone to name this name of Christ, especially one of the ruling council members, came at great cost. We accept the hard teaching and experiences in this stage. And we see them as blessings to be used to help others and to deepen our own trust in our Lord. Even when we can't explain them, even when we don't like them, even when we don't agree with them. We recognize that this faith is our faith. It's not my parents' faith. It's not the church's faith. It's not the preacher's faith. It's my faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This is my faith. Jesus refused to let Nicodemus stay with his parents' faith or his people's faith. He put him on the journey toward his own faith and he does the same thing with you and with me. In a moment, we'll sing this great song, this great statement, I am resolved. That's where Nicodemus was. That's where God wants all of us. While our faith development is in process on this spiritual journey, Jesus is patient with us and with others, just like he was with Nicodemus. During this time, Jesus is patient with us and with others, and we should be as well. As a church family, we should not shoot our wounded. We should not 
shoot our strugglers, our questioners, but we should welcome them and help them and hold their hand and cry their tears along this part especially of the journey because we have faith that God will see them through and we will be right there with them every step of the way. And when we don't know the answers to the questions they're asking, I've learned a great thing in 40 plus years of ministry. I just get this really dumb look on my face. I shake my head and I say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it either. But I do know that we're not alone. Just as our Lord was patient with Nicodemus and helped him along the journey to a faith that was his own, we should be patient with each other and with ourselves. Don't beat yourself up because you're in this part of your faith journey. It means that there's growth happening and there's maturity as you go through it and on the other side. We're all on the same path, though at different spots along the way. And that's why we pray for our shepherds because they are shepherding a church of people that are all scattered throughout this process and need different shepherding. Where are you on this spiritual journey? Where are you in the process of building your faith? Where are you in the process of building your relationship with the Lord? And how can you encourage others on their journey of faith? I will hasten hasten to you, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. That's your desire today. Come as we stand and sing this great song.